Man, we've got a good one this week. Bishop Jim Lowe joins us in, in the studio. Uh, he's the senior pastor of the Guiding Light Church in Birmingham, Alabama, and he's also a founding member of Gatekeepers Association of Alabama. Uh, and, and their job, what they do is they make sure that the Word of God is put into uh, the realm of public policy. And so that is obviously something I'm very passionate about, and I think that passion is going to come through uh, in droves on this podcast. Uh, Bishop Lowe is going to talk about his life story, his involvement uh, in the civil rights movement, specifically being very uh, close in proximity uh, in the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing, uh, physically close, but also close to the victims. And he's got a really amazing story there. We talk about what's wrong with Alabama, what's wrong with America, uh, and we even talk about the Black Robe Regiment. So we'll tease that out. You don't want to miss out. Welcome, everyone, to 1819 News, the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Brian Dawson, CEO of 1819 News and host of the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Bishop Lowe, Bishop Jim Lowe. Uh, Bishop Lowe is the senior pastor of the Guiding Light Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, he's a founding member of the Gatekeepers Association of Alabama, which is an association of pastors and church leaders organized to extend the influence of God's kingdom into the governmental realm. Uh, he's been married to his wife for over 40 years with three children and three grandchildren, or have you added any? That's right. Just That's three right. right now. There you go. All right. Well, we're up to date. We're good to go there. Uh, Bishop Loth, so thank you so much for joining. Glad to be here, Brian. Awesome. We're going to be talking about uh, a number of things, talking about uh, Bishop, Bishop Lowe's life's journey, the things that he's kind of been through and seen, including civil rights movement, um, talking about what's wrong with Alabama. Um, and then as we always seem to get to in this podcast, we get into biblical manhood uh, and how that affects fathers, pastors in these different areas and, and kind of where I think we need to probably improve a little bit uh, on the status quo. Um, before we jump in, though, guys, um, go to 1819news.com, subscribe to the newsletter. It's a, it's a red button at the top. You can't miss it. Uh, put your email address in. Click the button. Put your email address in there. We won't sell your information. Uh, and it doesn't cost you anything, and you get the newsletter in your inbox every single morning at 7.45 with all the news you need to know, the opinions that matter, and the podcasts that we produced. Uh, and also um, like, subscribe, thumbs up, leave a review on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, and YouTube. Um, click the bell so that you're getting notifications when we publish content. Um, and beyond all that, if you've done all those things, tell your friends to do that too so that you're not missing out. All right, well, that ends... Uh, my weekly rundown of all that stuff, and we'll jump right into the the good stuff. So, um, Bishop Lowe, you um another thing that I didn't have in your bio is you are a senior fellow with the Alabama Policy Institute. Is yes. that right? And so that is how I've gotten to know you. I met you a little over a year ago at an API event um, where I think you prayed and you spoke, um, and I got to know you a little bit, and have just heard wonderful things from so many people that that talk about you, the influence you've had. Um, in, in the city, in the state, and things you've been through. So I wanted to bring you on, talk about your life story, um, kind of how you've gotten to be who you are and the way that you think and, and those type of things, um, and, and we'll kind of go from there. So tell us, um, where were you born? Tell us about your parents, um, how you grew up. Okay. Well, I was born here in, in, in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, and it's, uh, it's my home, and I'm an optimist. In spite of all the pessimistic things that go on, I believe that our God, if we will just take the right stands, if we will honor him, then he'll bring us through all the problems that we have. Amen. But we've got to be sure that we're making those right stands. I was born here in Birmingham. I grew up uh, uh, with my parents. My father was an educator. My mother was a chiropractor. She was a doctor. And uh, so I was brought up in a home in which we were taught... Uh, taught love, taught the Word of God. Mm -hmm. My uh, mother's father was a bishop. Uh, he had uh, he was the bishop over several states, and he had several churches, a uh, hundred and some churches that were under him. So I was raised in a biblical family, Pentecostal, um, until my father didn't like the idea of us running around screaming and hollering and clapping and beating drums and <laughs> And, and speaking in tongues, and he brought us into the uh, uh, he had into the Baptist Church, and there I, I was brought into the 16th Street Baptist Church, uh, yeah. the one that uh, uh, that was bombed in 1963, um, and I grew up there from six years old up to about uh, 26, to when I accepted my call in the ministry. Um, 
but it was uh, uh, I saw the I saw the uh, um, a lot of the civil rights uh, marches from 16th Street because yeah. that was the uh, uh, place where uh, a lot of it took place, as well as Bethel Baptist Church over in uh, Collegeville. Um, but I didn't participate in the marches. My mother wouldn't let me do it. I was 11 in 63 when the yeah. bombing went down. And um, But we were taught love. We were not taught uh, racism. Yeah. We were not taught to hate white people. Uh, in fact, um, I was brought up with uh, the teaching that there are only two types of people in the world. They're saints and they're sinners. Mm. You're either a child of God or you're not a child of God. And that's what has influenced me throughout my life. Now, I have to admit, looking at some of the things that uh, were done by uh, uh, some white brothers, uh, uh, it did bring some challenges in time. Yeah, I bet. You know, especially after the bombing. Yeah. You know, the uh, uh, I was 11 years old when that uh, bomb was planted in the uh, 16th Street Baptist Church, and one of the young girls, Denise McNair, was a good friend of mine. And, uh, of course, she was murdered along with three other girls. And then that began to radically change some of my ideas about uh, the movement. I felt like we were going to ultimately uh, win and that we would get our rights, that uh, it was just the right thing. I felt God was on our side. In fact, when we did our, um, when the, the protests were done, they were done in the daytime. They were done with prayer before they went into the streets. And it was done all decently and in order. They were peaceful. Uh, they were not like the uh, protests that are done today, that are done at night. Yeah. That's an interesting uh, kind of juxtaposition between then and now and how things are going. And probably just, it, the, the spirit is, that's at the center of it, too. Tell me, how how did you handle, how did you manage to stay so positive in those around you, your father and, and other you know men and mentors and people in your life? to stay so positive after um, a, a church bombing that killed people that you knew and loved? Well, like I said, it was a challenge because I was actually dealing with the call in the ministry. The Lord called me when I was six. I, I um, And my parents didn't want me in ministry because my mother's father was in ministry. And pastors and ministers, if you tell the truth, you're going to have hard problems from people. Yeah, And uh, so they didn't want me in ministry. But what occurred was after the bombing, I had to re do some soul searching. What is my reason? I was two doors down. I was no more than uh, uh, 30 feet away from where the bomb was placed. Wow. And um, so I'm sitting up looking at, and thinking about myself. Well, why am I still here? My two sisters were there also. So I was torn between uh, becoming an angry black person or, as the message of that day was, a love that forgives. And you either learn to be like Christ and forgive and, and and pray for those who are your enemies and those who persecute you, or you you live by the sword and then you die by the sword. Wow. So I had to make some choices, and it took years before I accepted the call totally in the ministry. Yeah. And, uh, but it, I found that love was better than hate. Because all hate does, it, it destroys the it destroys the person you're hating, and it destroys you most of all. Yeah. So I had to let go of that. I think in the church, and maybe you can speak to this. Um, when people talk about love, um, a lot of times I feel like the modern church, when it talks about love, um, it's a love that is is it's it's almost a way for them to hide behind their cowardice because they don't want to face the things that are going on. And so when I hear a man like you say love and love like Christ. Um, that's a bold and courageous love. That is a, we're going to stand up and do the right thing and we're going to do this the right way and God's going to be glorified and we're going to honor him and he's going to have the victory. Um, I, th I feel like so much time now when I hear a lot of people, again, not you, but um, kind of in the big evangelical realm, um, you know, to even speak out and say something against the spirit of the age and the things that are happening and just the, the ridiculousness of it all, they say that we're not loving or that we need to be more loving. And um, talk about how you would kind of contrast the modern um, 
you know, sentiment of, of that kind of love versus what you're talking about? Well, first of all, God is love, okay? Amen. And if we are created in his image, then we need to reflect what the word of God is. Yeah. We can't see people that are out there that are doing things contrary to his word, that are doing things that are an abomination to before God, and recognize that there is a righteous judge in the universe, mm. and he is going to bring everyone into judgment for the works that they've done. If we truly love and we see someone that's going the wrong way, contrary to the word of God, if we love, we tell them. Mm. Now, life is choice-driven. Once we tell them, that's all the responsibility the Lord told us to do. He said, you just tell them. But how can I love you, Brian, if, if I'm going to, and the Bible says to love one another as I have loved you, and to see you doing something that I know the, the judgment of God is going to come on you. The wrath of God is going to fall on you and not tell you about it. Mm. At least I owe you that. Yeah. I had a good friend who was an attorney once uh, uh, years ago. He, he didn't believe. He didn't believe in Christ. He didn't believe in any type of God. He was my friend. And I would tell him, I would say from time to time, hey, brother, look, I need to be able to talk to you about what I believe. Just every now and then, at least give me once a month to share with you what I know to be true. And he said, well, Jim, go ahead, do it. It'd be fine. I'm not going to get angry with you. Back in that time, this was in the 70s, and uh, you know, you could talk to somebody and disagree with them and not be angry with them and not shout them down. Wow. <laughs> so I would say to him about, he, he would know every uh, about every uh, month or so uh, for maybe about 15, 20 minutes. Okay, brother, let me tell you about the Lord. Okay, okay shoot your best shot. All right. <laughs> And uh, uh, he said, okay, I still don't believe. But at least I was explaining to him. When we look and we see the way our nation has gone today, and for us, especially as pastors, to be silent, to be quiet, to not speak, where is the love? Where is the love when we see people knowing that there's a righteous God that we believe in, and we don't speak the truth to them? No. We speak the truth in love. We yeah. don't have to be angry with people like they are angry with us. We're saying it. Look, I was in a, I was in a uh, conference once. On, I was a council, on a council, and there was a, a woman that was there. I was on, on, on platform with her, and she said, I know what type of person you are. And I said, oh, you do? She said, yeah, and I'm going to tell you this up front so uh, uh, we can get this in the air. I'm married. And she said, and I'm married to a woman. And I said, okay, guess what? I'm married to a woman also. <laughs> and she looked at me and she said, is that all you got to say to me? I said, look, life is choice driven. You live or die by the choices you make. That's a choice you made. I made a choice for a woman because I feel that that's the way God would have me to do it. And you've done something that's different. Now, it doesn't mean I hate you or I'm angry with you. Yeah. And actually, she told me that uh, from her background, people told her she was going to bust hell wide open. And she had pastors that would tell her and they condemned her, criticized her. And I told her, I almost had a tear in my eyes, that I'm sorry. I apologize for those pastors that have done that because that's incorrect. They shouldn't talk to you in that manner. Yeah. How can you understand the truth when they come at you, condemning you, criticizing you? There is now, therefore, no condemnation in Christ. You need to know Christ Jesus in the way that I know him. He's not one that condemns like this. Yeah. You have a choice. Interesting. I think too something that kind of came to mind when you you talked about that um, when when you understand the wrath of God and you understand judgment and you understand what's to come and then to to stay silent and then that's kind of what this modern um, evangelist you know evangelistic space the people there would say you know to say something to someone is mean and and intolerant and then to be silent is is loving and so I've always kind of thought about it in my head. If someone was standing on train tracks and there was a train barreling a hundred miles an hour down those tracks and they don't notice the train and you're saying, Hey, there's a train coming. It's actually very loving. Right. And it would be an awful thing to not tell them that there's a train coming and it's going to hit them. And so, um, I think, uh, anybody who really believes in the God of the Bible and understands what's to come, um, you know, they, they should be, they should be motivated to, like you say, go and tell the truth in love. Um, so I think that's really good. Well, think in terms also, Brian, uh, I've got grandchildren. And you just mentioned that a few minutes ago. I 
I shudder at the type world that my grandchildren are going to come up in watching. And I look at with dismay uh, and at where pastors are today who are not wanting to offend. So therefore, they don't teach the difficult word of God or the full truth of the word of God. Well, my grandchildren are going to have to grow up in a world that doesn't know the, the, the truth of what God's word is because it's not being taught to them. Now, I'm going to teach them in my church, mm-hmm. but what happens when I'm no longer there? What happens when, when real pastors are afraid to stand up and call abortion wrong? They're afraid to stand up and say that homosexuality, same-sex marriages and all this stuff, that that's not in the Bible. That's not justifiable. Now, yeah. I hope that didn't just mess up would you have to edit that out of there? No. But but that's that's Bring the it. fact. It's an abomination before God. And if you love, then at least hear the truth. What they want to do is they want to shout down the truth and and want us to adjust to their truth. That's not the way of Christianity. Christianity says we just express the word of God. It's not my job to force you to do anything. Yeah. But why do you feel like you gotta force me not to speak? Yeah. Christianity is the reason this nation exists. It's the reason why we've got the longest living constitution of any other governments that have ever made, because we have built our government on the word of God. Yeah. We founded our nation on biblical principles. This nation chose the God of Israel. God chose Israel, and we chose the God of Israel. And as a result, mm. we've had prosperity. We've had the blessings of the Lord upon us because we chose the God of Israel. And blessed is the nation whose Lord is the Lord. That's good. Yeah, that, that is a message I think that needs to be out there. And um, we'll get we'll get to that as we jump into some of the Black Robe Regimen stuff. That's one of my favorite <laughs> subjects and. and um I think it was Eric that talked to you and said uh, that you were excited about that. Like not too many people do I get to talk to that, you know, about that. But before we get into that, um, you know, I, you know, putting the civil rights movement uh, under uh, Reverend Martin Luther King, I like to call him Reverend, not doctor. That's right. He was a pastor. He was a pastor before he was a doctor. <laughs> there you go. And His he was a man was theology, of God. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, this was a man of God. He before he did anything, he was in the prayer. Yeah. Before where they, before there were marches, they would pray. Yeah. They would go in a church. They would sing songs, giving God glory. They had a, a, a I think it was ten steps of how they had to do the right thing. You weren't gonna hit back. You weren't gonna talk back. You you were gonna love what was going on, no matter what they did to you. In fact, uh, Reverend Shuttlesworth, they had this this policy. I can't remember what it was. I wish if I had known, I could have brought uh, brought that thing to you. And how they were to conduct themselves. Yeah, it wasn't this type radical thing that we have that goes on today. Yeah, and and you see you see remnants of Doctor Mar- Reverend Martin Luther King's movement in the movement today here and there. You will see some people that are in those marches and they're saying, "Hey, don't respond." Just be here. And then there's always the radicals that come in, and then it's like a bomb that sets the whole thing off. And so I think there are still a few people that are, are, are trying to do it the right way. But um, I think the radicalism serves uh, a certain political party, too. And I think you know, one it of the does. things I, I've tried to bring my audience into, hopefully just kind of repetitively, is um, are you are you familiar with the long march through the institutions no. concept? So. No. So essentially what happened is in World War One, uh, the 1910s, 20s, uh, into early 19, you know, before 1930, um, communism was tried to move, uh, they tried to move it west by tank or by sword, okay. to use biblical language. They tried to move communism through war. What they did is they promised the proletariat of the Western countries, the working class, the poor, the downtrodden, they promised them equality, you know, status, uh, the things that they felt that they wanted. And, and, and if you fight against your country, will come in and will give you status. And, and and the first separation that they did was class warfare, right? And so they set the rich against the poor. Mm-hmm. And so they came in and did that, and they tried to do that, and communists thought that they would be able to get the working class in the Western European countries to turn against their nation uh, and fight for communists, and, and they didn't. And so they underestimated uh, the belief of God and country uh, in the West and patriotism, and so they pushed communism back into the East. They said, okay, well, how are we going to be able to get our ideas and, and, and things that we want? How are we going to move west if we can't do it by tank? And they said, we're going to have to do it by culture and institution. Right. 
And so um, they sent all their greatest thinkers to the Frankfurt School of Thought in Frankfurt, Germany, uh, from across the world, all the leading Marxist communist thinkers. Uh, a lot of them were uh, from Jewish lineage. They weren't practicing Orthodox Jews by any stretch of the imagination, but they had a Jewish heritage. And in the you know 30s and 40s, that wasn't a great place for Jewish people to be in Frankfurt, Germany, right? And so um, they did an exodus from there, and they came to America, and they went to Columbia University. And that's where they began their long march through the institutions, which was a strategy to get into our elite education centers and then all the education centers to get into our media, uh, be it Hollywood or whatever, to get into our seminaries and into our churches. And every culture-shaping institution that we had that Christians built and used was was hijacked by communists and Marxists. And we're, and we're now sensing that. And one of the things that they completely hijacked was an, an entire political party. Like the Democrat Party today is not the Democrat Party of JFK, right? And mm-hmm. and you know, whether they liked it then, liked it now, they were arguing about like twenty percent taxes versus thirty percent taxes back then. It wasn't, you know, we need to mutilate children's genitals and you know um, reassign their sex and like so. It's just it's a it's a completely different thing. And so and and to me, that's because the the Marxists hijacked the entire political party. And so how that ties into what I'm what we're what we're talking about here, I think is that they have gone in and separated um, like they tried to do rich versus poor and class warfare, and it kind of worked, but it didn't work as well as they wanted. But they did see enough fruit in the idea of dividing classes where there's an existing friction. They go in, elevate that friction, and then separate classes into oppressor and oppressed. Mm-hmm. And so they went in and they said, oh, look, black people and white people have a frustration between them. Let's Let's increase that frustration. Let's pour gas on it. And we'll call white people oppressors and black people oppressed. And then you want to have that uprising from the oppressed to the oppressor. And you create a voting block and then you create a radical movement. And then they go in and say, you know what? Women, uh, women are oppressed by men. Men are the oppressor. Women are oppressed. Right. Right. And then they create a voting block and then they get active feminists walking around doing all that nonsense that they do in their marches. And then um, and then now it's gay versus straight, right? Gay people are oppressing or excuse me, straight people are oppressing gays and they're trying to create that divide and they get a voting block. And then they get an active movement. And so this is something that they have been actively working against us for a hundred years. They've been planning this and executing it flawlessly. And we've just been sitting there like, well, we want to get along. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, when you, when you talk about it uh, by definition, um, I didn't know, but I know exactly what you're talking about yeah. when you say that. I think one of the biggest problems is that uh, uh, when you look at the Democratic Party, I wonder where are the true Christians that are there. Where are the ones that are the fundamental conservative Christians that believe in the Bible, that believe that abortion is wrong, that believe the same-sex marriage? God, by divine design, created male and female. Where are those? Now, you remember in, uh, was it the uh, 2012, or where was it, uh, when uh, Obama was getting ready to run for his second term? Mm -hmm. They wanted to leave God out of their uh, platform. Yeah. And see, where are the Christians in the Democrat Party? I know they're Christians. They say they are, but it seems like they have been hijacked into being silent. Where are the, the Christians that are that believe that abortion is wrong in the Democrat Party? Yeah. Where are they? Where are those that believe the same-sex marriage is wrong in the Democrat Party? Where the where are the benefits of everything the Democrats have said they were going to do for us as African Americans? Where is that being shown? Where do I see it? I hear from you every four years, but mm. what have you done for the growth of my people, the benefit of black people? Where is that now? I don't see that type of thing. I don't see the encouragement. I don't see the strengthening of the black family. I hear you every four years talking about what white people have done. But I believe that as a child of God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. How can you begin to take Christ away from me when he's the one that gives me the freedom? And then you talk about you can't do it because white people are against you. Mm. This, this oppressor and the one being oppressed, that's not the word of God. And so, therefore, I try to encourage people to realize your strength comes from the Lord. Yes. It doesn't come. It doesn't matter whether there's a white person or a black person or whoever is against you. If God be for you, who can, who be can, you? Who can indeed be against you? Mm. But we've taken Christ out. So where is where are the patriots that are of the Democrat Party that are going to truly say that God is Lord? Where are they? 
And I think the Democrat Party has moved so far to the left. They've they've gone so radical that what's happening is it's forcing a lot of Democrats that do have those standards are either just not voting or they're they'll eventually make their way to um, the Republican Party, which is chock full of flaws as well. Yeah. And so one of the things that I always tee up for people because there's a lot of, um, and I'm just being raw because I really appreciate you. And I think, you know, I, I can do this with you. So um, there's a lot of um, white Republicans that criticize black Democrats and say, look at the Democrats every four years promising mm-hmm. you the world and then not doing anything for well, that's, you. That's the truth. But, but look at this. I said, well, what about Christians? You got the Republican Party that every four years they got their Bible out and they're talking about Jesus mm-hmm. and they're talking about all this stuff and they don't do a thing. It took a New York pagan Democrat to end abortion, right? It took okay. it took Donald Trump coming in, and, 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 and that's what it took for us. The only person who's ever done one thing that they said they were going to do since I've been alive in, in, in politics, right? And so I think Republicans do to Christians the same thing that Democrats do to the black voting base, right? They make a bunch of promises— that- mobilize them, they win, and then they don't do anything for them. Republicans come in and they hit that moral majority. They promise them all this Christian legislation that's going to come down the pike, and then they don't do anything for them. And I'm like, see, they got it figured out. Politicians are interested in power. That's all they want to do. And you've got bad Democrats. You've got bad Republicans. You've got good Democrats. You've got good Republicans. I've got Democrat friends, and, and of course— I don't call myself a Republican or a Democrat. Yeah. I'm just a child of God, okay? Amen. That's where I see myself. So I see things entirely differently. I'm not a proud Democrat. I'm not a proud Republican. I am a child of God. That's all that matters. And these promises that are made by the political parties are basically empty. There is no God party at all. But you see the Christians gravitating to the Republican Party because they welcome them in. But then when they get in, you still get the establishment establishment Republicans that push them back off to the side. But see, that's where the church has got to rise up. That's where we've got to stand for what the truth is. We have to be influencing the government. We have to be involved with the government. Because we can't sit back off the side and say, let the politics be over there. If if we don't get involved, then who's going to stand for what God stands for? Man, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, it's a saying called, it's not whether, but which. And what that means is, it's not whether a God is going to be the one that creates your laws and your policy. Mm-hmm. It's which God, right? So right now, we've got the spirit of the age and, and the mm-hmm. God of, of moral relativism and this, this weird secular humanism God and though that is who's shaping our laws and our policy right now, and it, it comes with its own, you know, church discipline and, you know, uh, sacraments and everything in, in its religion, as far as you would look at abortion and all these other things that are that are sacrosanct inside this religion, that, that secular humanism. And that is the God that's being worshipped in our society. And we're, you know, not me and you, but as a society bowing down to this God and saying, you know, you're our God. Here's your laws. We want to live according to your law, secular humanist God. Rather than bowing the knee to the God that, you, like you said, when this nation was founded, oh, yeah. our, our knee was was bowed to Christ as King. That's right, right, and 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 it was His law. And so, um, you look at and 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 I have a feeling that you and I are going to be right on uh, the same point on this. You look at our legal system when when our country was founded. It mm-hmm. was it was it was founded on English common law and in the general equity of the uh, the civil code of Israel's law. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the general equity, so if you look at like the Westminster Confession or the London Baptist Confession of 1689, it talks about the general equity of the civil law. So in the, in the law, you have moral law, you have civil law, and then you have ceremonial law. Christ did away with the ceremonial law. We still have a moral law. We still have a civil law, but we don't have the full civil law. What we have is the general equity found therein. And so a guy named William Blackstone comes in and he basically develops the entire English and American legal system. Mm -hmm. And so all of our laws, everything was based off of the word of God. That is how we founded our legal system. That's right. um, With a bent knee to King Jesus, Mm -hmm. right? That's how it was done. Um, And now we're trying as hard as we can to basically get Jesus away from everything. And then we're just, we're sitting here suffering the consequences. 
Well, again, I started off with it. I said, blessed is the nation whose God is our Lord. And see, we're trying to get away from him. If we do that, we go the way of all the other nations that have perished, that have existed, and then they are no longer in existence. We are here and strong because we honor our God. Mm. Now, that's the responsibility of the church. The church needs to continue to influence what's going on. And politicians are trying to get the church out. Yeah, You know, um, it was Lyndon Johnson, who was a Republican, who came up with that uh, 501c exclusion where he said that churches shouldn't be involved in the political arena of things, you know, couldn't say certain things. That was a Republican. Wow. Well, yes, that, that, uh, it, he, he attached it to the uh, Tax Act. That's yeah. what that was. And now you've got pastors that are afraid to speak on anything that gets politically active. If it's biblical, you have the, the you have the responsibility to speak what the Bible says about something. God didn't call you to be a politician. He called you to be a preacher. Mm. Preach what God's word is. Amen. You get me all fired up. Well, that's the responsibility <laughs> that, that pastors have. But not only the pastors, but the church must arise. The church must stand up and begin to speak what the truth is. The church doesn't need to sit back there and wait on our political leaders to do it. Between the Democrats and the Republicans, all they want is power. Yep. Notice when they get in there, you're either going to vote Democrat or you're going to re- you're going to vote Republican. They stick together. You don't have a, you don't have multiple minds. You have one mind. Yeah. You're either Democrat or you're Republican, and that's not the way it should be. You should be what is justice, what is righteousness. Stand for what the truth is, and it doesn't matter whether it's Democrat or Republican. If a Republican does wrong, call it out. Democrat does wrong, call it out. But who's going to be the guardian of that? The media is not that anymore. Where's the church? It's the church's responsibility. And see, I'm one, I, 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 I get fired up over Charles Finney's statement. Are you familiar with his statement that he made in uh, uh, 1870? Was it 1870? I'm, sure. uh, I'm familiar with him in the Second Great Awakening, but I'm not sure statement. Okay, well, look, can I, can I just read that over to you just for a moment? Hit me. Because I, I like, I preach this thing, brother. Uh, <laughs> Christ crucified for the sins of the world is the Christ that the people need. If immorality prevails in the land, the fault is ours to a great degree. If there's a decay of conscience, the pulpit is responsible for it. Mm. If the public press, now see if this is today, the public press lacks moral discrimination, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the church degenerates and is degenerate and worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the world loses its interest in religion, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan rules in our halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible for it. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundation of our government are ready to fall away, the pulpit is responsible for it. Charles Finney said to those group of peace pastors there, he said, let us not ignore this fact, my dear brethren, but let us lay it to heart and be thoroughly awake to our responsibility and respect to our morals of this nation. And he did that on December 4, 1873. Wow. Look at where we are today. Everything that he mentioned is coming to pass. He was prophetic in that because the pulpit has refused to stand firm and speak the truth to power. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it's it's disgusting. I'm so, 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 so thankful for my pastor in the church I go to, mm-hmm. little church in Wetumpka, Alabama, and um, the guy, he's about my age, faithful. I mean, as this craziness came in with critical race theory and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the um, COVID and all this stuff, you know what he did? He went and got a stack of bi- uh, of all the books from our founding and all the books of mm-hmm. everything to do with it, as well as obviously he's steeped in God's word always, but trying to figure out how can he pastor through this crazy, difficult time. It's not just, well, they're telling me that I'm supposed to tell you guys that you have to do this. It's I need to familiarize myself with the founding of this country, what our rights are, what we're supposed to be doing, and how I can shepherd my flock through this 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 very confusing time. And boy, did he do it. Uh, in, in an amazing way. So super thankful for him um, and, and the work he did there and, and then the culture that that set in our church. It was kind of interesting because these crazy times, the, the they're, it's, it reminds me of that verse that talks about, you know, there's going to be um, a shakeup 
that 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 way the things that can be shaken are gone and the things that can't be shaken will remain right and that's obviously an ultimate sense but i think there's ways that god brings things that are that are kind of a curse but kind of a blessing in a way and so you bring covid or critical race theory or some of this lgbt whatever nonsense in and what it does is it shakes things up and it allows you to see who's who and and what's what and then if you if you have a pastor and a and a and a congregation that stands true and stands on the truth through the whole thing what you end up with is a bunch of people that are like wow look at what that church is doing and then and then your church is now built up of those type of people right it's mm-hmm. it's it's been amazing to watch well i used to have a church of about 3500 members and when the the party of choice of african americans started going contrary to the word of god talking about we're going to alter marriage and that uh, um, certain things are acceptable, and I began preaching against it, then my 3,500-member church, because they began to see, well, if you preach this, you're, you're, you're really preaching against our party, you know, the party that, that basically owns African Americans. You're preaching against it. I said, you got to understand, I'm not preaching against it. I'm preaching the Word of God. The Word of God is against what stands yeah. they are taking. It's not me coming against them. I'm speaking what God says. Well, people were leaving the church. They left it in, in droves. Yeah. So now I'm probably under 1,000 members, but uh, we've managed to hold on to the, to the place. We've done things that people have not, uh, a lot of my, my own people have not appreciated some of the things I've done, but there are a group of them that know the truth, yeah. and that truth has made them free. And they, they are not bound to any political party. Yeah. They are looking at policy versus uh, uh, personality. Yeah. And they see that what's more important is, is what is the policy that a party is going to bring. Don't vote party. Don't vote people. Vote policy. Yeah. What do they stand for? And that's what we've got to do. If it stands for justice, righteousness, and for what the Word of God says, I don't care whether you're Democrat, I'm going to vote for you. If you're a Republican, I'm going to vote for you. If, you, if you're uh, uh, independent, I'm going to vote for you. I want you to stand for God's word. That's all I want. Yeah. But most people are not like that. They walk in, and we were conditioned to do that yeah. in the 60s because the only way we got a lot of things done was we followed what, at that time, we had good leadership. Yeah. Dr. Martin Luther King was one, Reverend Shuttlesworth, right here in Birmingham. And they would make little lists. Here are the people to go vote for. And we would go according to that list. Well, after a period of time, I think people got trained to follow a piece of paper. And now they just go into the uh, uh, the voting booth, what's the paper say? And they just mm. vote according to what somebody tells them. And so the leadership has been hijacked. Yeah. In fact, the, uh, um, the movement, I think, has been hijacked. I think uh, when Jesse Jackson was running for president and he brought in the LGBTQ, said, okay, your struggle is our struggle. It ain't the same. No. No, it's not the same. He is not the new black, right? <laughs> it, it, is, it is not. But, but, and then they hijacked it, and now still black people are still living in the same conditions they were living in in the 60s. Many of them, and you talk about systemic racism. Let me tell you why. And I know this might be contrary to what you think. Racism is not systemic. You can say, oh, yes, it is. It's part of the system because what it is, you keep voting in the same people that were there when racism was strong. You still got them in office. Yeah. They are still carrying on the policies that's going to keep them in there. It's systemic. It's part of the system. Yeah. And until you call it out, by changing the system, and what I mean by changing the system, I'm not talking about going up, just uh, uh, revolutionizing, tearing up stuff, doing that. I'm saying change the folk you got in office. Yeah, they've been in there. They go in there. They can go in as a car salesman and come out a millionaire. Yeah, what is that about? Yeah, if we go back to the founding fathers, these people. Look, I'm getting. I'm going. Keep on, man. We got. We got all the time in the world. Bring it. What they were, they were servants. They were servants. They were servants of the people. They didn't go in there to make a a, a career out of being a politician. Yeah. They come out. They would. George Washington gave up the office of president. They would have made him a king, yeah. but he went back to his his lifestyle. That's what each one of them did. They gave the best that they had for the time they had. But we got professional politicians now, oh. and all they want to do is stay in power and get rich. Look at what happened and get rich. Look at what happened to Nancy Pelosi, just husband. 
yeah. made this uh, uh, this stock deal, and supposedly he didn't have any ideas about what was going on. He's just a prophet. <laughs> he's, just he's, got a, his, he's got his investment got crystal somebody, ball. Somebody laying up in the bed alongside yeah. him and say, well, it might be a good idea. And then ask her the question, did you share any information? Well, of course not. Who yeah. knows? And then you got uh, Hunter Biden and everything and what's going on there. There's another thing. Where is the tr- look? What uh, oh, and I am naming people of one political party. I guess I need to try to switch over to other because you got them on the other side of the party yeah. too. That's the reason they won't bring judgment on these people. Yeah, and we spent all of these years for the past six years. All they tried to do is tear down Donald Trump. Now Trump's got his own problems, but for six years we've talked about all the things that have come against him. I think one of the principal things why they hate him so much is because Donald Trump was doing some things that were going for the kingdom of God. Yeah. Now, not that he was a so, kingdom uh, guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But it just so happened that the, uh, the things that were good for the kingdom were good for Donald Trump. And so he was doing them. <laughs> and what was good for the kingdom is good for the country. Yes. And so he had those people around him that influenced him, just like Joe Biden has people influencing him. I came to believe when I saw the first uh, uh, debate between uh, Donald Trump and uh, Joe Biden, I really didn't appreciate the way Trump talked to no. uh, Biden. I thought it was totally yeah, disrespectful. It was childish. Very much so. Yeah. But then I began to realize no one man runs this country. Yeah. So Donald Trump, this man right here, can't be the one that's making all of the decisions. He makes some decisions. He's the one that's at the head, but he ain't running the whole thing. Yeah. Then when I look at Joe Biden, I know good and well Joe Biden's not running he ain't this country. Running nothing. <laughs> one thing Donald <laughs> Trump said about Joe Biden that uh, he says, "I don't think Joe knows he's alive." And I kind of, <laughs> I hate to say that, but that's not that's not nice yeah. for a pastor to say. <laughs> but uh, um, the thing about it is, God is the he's he's. He's the one that's going to be the ultimate judge. He's the one that orders the footsteps of the righteous. I believe that pagan leaders will do what God says if we are there to influence. There again is where the church has got to rise up. Yeah, that There again is where the church has got to rise up. That's where I want to go next is so um, for as long as we've been doing this podcast, we have people come in, we'll talk about whatever, and then it gets back down to it, and we ask the question, what, what's wrong with Alabama? What's wrong with America? And, and the answer without fail has been it's a manhood problem. It's a, man, it's a men problem in the sense of biblical manhood, um, and then how that shows up in the pulpit, how that shows up in the home, and then obviously you know the other sphere in the civil magistrate, but specifically the areas that is, uh, seem to have the most detrimental effect is um, absent or indifferent fathers, uh, and cowardly preachers. That seems to be, uh, it always comes back to that. And it's so funny. Like, so this is 1819 news, the podcast supposed to be a podcast about Alabama news and culture. Like, so we talk about whatever happened in the week and, you know, bring on a country music singer or something. I don't know. Right. And that was kind of the vision. And then we used to have people come on and it would always get back to this. And so I don't even shy away from it anymore. Um, and, um, how I view it and you may not have the same view. Um, I believe that God has instituted three spheres of government. He's He's instituted uh, the civil magistrate, which is the government that we all think of, judges, cops, presidents, whatever. Uh, he's instituted the church, and then he's instituted the family. And these oh, are yes. three spheres of government. And and all three spheres sit under Christ. Christ is the one that gives them That's their authority. Right. They have limited authority. None of those authorities, like, and so there was a time in history, they had the argument over the divine right of kings, that the kings could do whatever they want. no. Kings only have the authority given them by God and and specifically what's in his word. And so when they begin to govern and rule in a way that completely contradicts the word of God, they're now either tyrants or abdicators or both. And so that could be, that can be a father who's being a tyrant in his home or an abdicator in his home. That could be um, a pastor who's completely abdicated and not preaching the word of God in its fullness or a heavy handed pastor who's, you know, doing things for his own benefit. Um, and then the same in the civil realm, with, with legislators that are doing things for their own benefit or being tyrannical, a tyrant king or something like that. But ultimately, these three spheres are under Christ, and the only mm-hmm. authority that they have has been given them by Christ in his word. Uh, and that's something that I think we need to get back to. People don't think about things like that. And when you saw COVID come through, they were just like, well, whatever the government says, I mean, 
You know, it's like, okay, so if the postman tells you you need to wear pink socks every day, are you going to do it? Well, no. Well, why not? He works for the government. He told you to put pink socks on. Well, so we know that there's lines that they can tell us to do some things. They can't tell us to do others. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm derailing. No, yeah. I, I'm with you. When you. You have a different title for it. And I say, because there are the three institutions that he yeah. set up. First was the family in the yeah. very beginning. Amen. He created a male and female. And yeah. that was Adam and Eve. And that was the family. The family is the family is the foundation of what society is. And, of yeah. course, at the head of that family is the male. Yeah. And then he created government, and we see that he did that with Moses and the things he said. There was government, but it, there was also predating that. He let there be certain leaders that would be men that would establish yeah. government. And then thirdly, the church came with Christ, and that was the third thing. And But actually, Christ is head. The government shall be upon his shoulder. Amen. What we have done as pastors, and you said cowardly pastors, a good thing, we've run away from from that responsibility, yeah. the government being on the shoulders, we have a responsibility to be there to influence the governor, the president, the kings, to influence them so that God's people can have a, 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 a life in the pursuit of happiness. Yep. That that's what we need to do. Human flourishing. We have to because that's what God created. All yeah. of it is submissive, submissive to Christ. Amen. But who's going to bring the word of Christ if it's not the church? Yeah. The church is, has the oversight. Here. Yeah, and you look back, even in Israel, the prophets, what were the prophets doing? Everyone thinks prophet, they think foretelling the future. And there was some yeah. of that, but what the mm-hmm. prophets did more than anything is they went up to the king and said, you are, you are in wicked rebellion, you are leading the people into idolatry, and you need to repent. God sent me to tell you to repent. And so exactly. prophets were actually speaking truth to power. And so I think Christians have the office, um, once we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, of prophet, priest, king. Right. And specifically in our households. And I think we do have a responsibility, specifically the pastor in the pulpit preaching um, the fullness of the word. Mm-hmm. And then he will be preaching that to God's people who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, who will then begin to live that way, embody those things, and then also, you know, speak truth to power uh, in their own right. And like you said, so, you know, as the pulpit goes, so goes the country. Yes. Um, and then we say, you know, as the father goes, so goes the household, right? And then the household country also. And so two two very big things. Well, look at this now. Uh, women have a responsibility also. And yeah. I know the head, husband is the head, and we looked at that. But there were times when the man basically abdicated his role. There was Esther. Mm-hmm. Esther went before the king. Yeah. You've got uh, uh, you've got uh, Deborah when she was the uh, uh, she had to take a role. So I'm going to say the church has a responsibility, and that's both male and female. Amen. And the the church has to go forward. Yes, the prophet, whoever the prophet is, whoever's bringing the truth to power. Esther was one that had to do that to help the king know what was the right thing to do. Yeah, she saved her people. For what did the uh, the prophet say to her? Say that deliverance the deliverance is going to come from some direction, but. Maybe you were born for such a time as now, Mm. as this. So women have a role to play in this also. And it's interesting when you look out across the political space, I know you see it, I see it. We have a whole lot more Debras right now than 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 we, than we, than do. we do, you know, uh, Ezekiel's or you know any prophets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're not seeing a lot of that. When and, it, and it's strange. And to some degree, I think it's it, judgment, not in a bad way that it's bad that there's women doing that. But it's like when you look out across the, the the political landscape of the people who have had enough and the people that are like not with my kids, you don't, and the people that are ready mm-hmm. to fight mm-hmm. and they're just full of you know ready to stand on the word of God. It's it's like eighty maybe more, maybe 90% women right now. It's, and it's, you know, um, it's a sad, it's sad that there's not more men, but I'm happy that there's women at least. Right. Well, God always has a ram in the bush. Yeah. And see, if, if the man won't do it, then he will have, there was a situation where, uh, um, the King wouldn't do what he was supposed to do. Uh, even Moses, when Moses was getting ready to go back to Egypt, Moses did not circumcise his son yep. like he was supposed to, and his wife had to go out there and yeah, do it. Yeah, and God so was going to kill him if he, he didn't. He going to kill him if he did not, <laughs> and she took it in, in yeah. her own hands to do it. So, yes, there's a role. Now, the lack of the father, and because it being being a black American, I've seen the strength of the black woman in the family. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of that has happened because uh, uh, the black father has not been there. And what you do is you continue to perpetuate this this lack of the uh, uh, father because God created for it to be 
male and female, yeah. and not for the woman to have to raise a family by herself. Or, uh, but it should have been husband and wife. And we used to have good, strong morality in the black family, yeah. better than it was in the in the overall community until the government came in and started helping yeah. the black woman out and say, well, you know, we know you can't, you can't make it by yourself. You're going to need our help. Uh, we're going to give you money to be able to make it, but you can't have a man in the house or else we're going to take the money away. So what was going to happen? So you, did, you, you immediately began to break down the black family. What did you do when you began to separate uh, uh, the males from the family? What did the young boys have a chance to see? They don't know how to become a man. You remember the story, you probably know about this one, that there was a, a, there was a bunch of elephants in Africa, mm. and they were going around. You remember this story? Yeah, tell it. And, uh, uh, and they were just trampling over the farmer's crops and everything, killing the animals and everything, wild, wild male elephants. And then someone came in and recognized, well, that's because the poachers have killed off the older male elements. Go get some more more uh, uh, elephants and bring them in from other places here and let them establish order. Those big bull elephants came in, got those rowdy male, juvenile. young male, the yeah. juvenile, and brought them in order. And after a while, you didn't have all the trampling of, yeah. of the farmer's crops because they brought order. Yep. We have lacked that, and I, I, I think, and just calling it out sometimes, uh, 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 the lack of uh, truth, even with in the white community, yep. to tell the truth about the injustices that were being done to blacks. I remember when I was in high school, and I was in high school. That's after uh, the bombing and everything. And I wrote a paper because I could see there was a lot of things that. Uh, um, Black people could do get away with it when it was black on black crime. This is in the sixties, okay? Yeah. And there was no uh, uh, no no justice. Black people were doing things. Black people they were cutting. They weren't shooting, but they beat up, and the police wouldn't do anything. And I wrote a paper that said that if these white people don't realize to teach the respect to blacks to blacks. It won't be long before they'll have disrespect for whites, and they'll be killing whites just like they're killing blacks. Look what's going on. Wow. Because they did not have the, the, the ability to foresee that you're raising up a community of people that are going to turn on you. Yeah. Because you think that as long as they're doing it to one another. And it's still not over. You can sit silently and watch what's going on in Chicago, watch what's going on in New York, watch what's going on in Birmingham, and you can say, well, that's just black-on-black -black crime, and we're not going to do nothing about it. It won't be long before that black-on-black -black crime goes to black-on-white crime. It's already there. Yeah. Justice must be done to all. It must be colorblind. Yep. It must be for what the Word of God says, and that ain't got nothing to do black or white. It's God's Word. Man. That's why the, all the symbols of justice is a lady holding scales and she has a blindfold on That's right. because justice is supposed to be blind. One thing, and we'll jump into the Black Robe Regimen. Um, something you said that really hit me um, is, is, is talking about those um, big, mature male uh, elephants mm -hmm. bringing order into the chaos with the younger juvenile elephants. I believe that is one of the biggest attributes about godly men is that they, they bring order to chaos. Mm -hmm. You go into a household I've got, we're about to have our seventh child. My wife is amazing. She is a saint. She is incredible. But the kids just by nature don't respect her the way that they respect me. Hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. and she keeps the house in order. Um, you know, they're disciplined, they're educated. It's good. But they, when when dad walks in, there's a level of order that yes. doesn't exist when 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 dad's not there, um, and there, that's just the way that God designed it. And so, one of the things that I think has happened is our society has feminized men. And so, you see in the black community where we subsidized the black men out of the homes, and then now in in just the overarching all communities. We've placed such a, not even a low value, but it's like anathema. They call masculinity toxic now, mm -hmm. right? And so <clears throat> they, there's like a war on masculinity. And and so biblical masculinity, biblical men bring order to chaos. Good men bring order to chaos. We have basically had a war on men now in masculinity. And now chaos abounds everywhere we look and we don't know why. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it, we shot ourselves in the foot big time, right? And and again, when you get back to the the long march through the institutions, it's almost like it's planned. Well, when you again, when you begin to remove God out of our society, which yeah. we have done, then the order that God established with the family, with the the, the husband as head of the household, yeah. once that's been broken, then all types of chaos comes about. That's yeah. right. All right. Well, as we've I've teased out through the whole thing here, the black robed regimen. Um, I will give kind of my interpretation of it, and then I'll let you go, um, and I'll fill in any gaps. Or, <clears throat> but so so the black robed regimen, um, I believe was a, a term that was coined for pastors in the American War for Independence, mm-hmm. because those pastors were they they called them a black robed regimen back in those days. Uh, many Presbyterian and, and other denominations that their pastors were black robed when they were in a pulpit. Right. And so they were called the Black Robe Regiment because they were the ones that were essentially preaching powerfully from the pulpits. And it was um, fanning the flames of the righteous war that was happening in their land. And so it was the biggest recruitment thing on earth was a church in the in the days of the American War for Independence, mm-hmm. because the church was preaching on the, you know, what was happening and what men's responsibility was. And so the they were they were preaching on that and people would leave there and go and join uh, the the Continental Army um, right after church from hearing the sermons that were right. preached and um, the the British actually began to target specifically Presbyterian churches because a lot of that the Presbyterians are really heavy in that they would target Presbyterian churches because of that like the British would when they'd come into a town they'd burn it to the ground because they they wanted to fight back against that so what what are your thoughts on uh, where we are with that today and then your thoughts just on the Black Robe Regiment in, in general. Well, I'll tell you, I first heard about the uh, Black Robe Regiment uh, uh, through um, uh, uh, the FERC, uh, F, not FERC. The MMA F- Research Council? <laughs> yeah, the FRC invited me. This is a part of what uh, affected me. I grew up, my father was historian, okay? Yeah. So my grandfather on the other side was a bishop. But uh, my father was historian, and he would talk to me about the American Revolution. Heard a lot of things about it. We discussed the Civil War, discussed history, period. Well, in, I think this was around uh, late 90s, FRC invited me and a group of pastors to go to Washington. I got a chance to hear David Barden. And uh, he brought to my attention then the Black Road Regiment. There were pastors that they they preached sermons about um, about what was going on, current events, not about the kind of stuff we preach about today, about prosperity gospel, make you feel good, you're going to be great, you're going to do. They preached about they preached sermons about when there was an earthquake, they preached about what earthquake, when there was a fire, they preached about a fire, they would preach about what was going on. And then you had uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards, you had uh, uh, Whitfield, Mm -hmm. and they would be preaching about what was going on at the time. And so our founding fathers were influenced by these powerful pastors and revivals that were going on, and they, they began learning more about God's Word, looking at the Roman government, looking at, and, you know, almost everybody spoke Latin. Well, they, they at least could read Latin. Yeah. And so they learned a lot about uh, uh, the, the Greeks, the Romans, and these pastors were learned men. They came from, oh, man, there's so much. What yeah. I'm getting my thoughts kind of mixed up on this. <laughs> but they were the ones that influenced the political leaders of the day. There were pastors that had guns that they'd have in the pulpit yep. and rally the people to go fight. They would talk about the injustice of the king and, and the government that he was about. So, yeah, the Black Robe Regiment was the fundamental thing that ignited the fires of the American Revolution. I, I think that's the best way I need to say what that is right yeah. there. I love it. And and how different it is today when, and that's kind of what I was starting off with, so many of these, you know, cowardly pastors. And there's, it's kind of a, an undergirding two-kingdom theology that, you know, the church isn't supposed to be involved with with, you mm-hmm. know, with the government. And it's like... I mean, I, I don't understand where that comes from. I don't see it anywhere in my Bible, but, you know, there's people that believe that, so what, whatever. But you look at, and so <clears throat> people's theology, whatever, what you can't do is look at um, 
the English Civil War and the American War for Independence and and see how we got to where we are really going back to the Reformation. So the Reformation, the Puritans, the the English Civil War, onto the American War for Independence and not see that there was this this political theology that was undergirding the entire thing. And it was very much that Christians are the ones that are supposed to be in itself. And, and it's the idea that when 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 God saves you and he gives you his spirit, you are now able to govern yourself, right? right? And, and you're not governing yourself by what you want. You're governing yourself by God's word. And so you, are, you have submitted, you've bent your knee to King Jesus. He gives you his word. You submit yourself to his word and, and you run your household and your businesses and your whatever, and it's all under the word of Christ. And you have a critical mass of people who believe in in, in God and Jesus and are saved and have the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and they're governing themselves based off the word, going to sun, going to church on Sundays, hearing the word preached, and you have this level of morality that comes from this obedience to God. Right. And it's and it exists, and this is when freedom flourishes. Mm-hmm. And it's freedom. It's freedom to go start a business. It's freedom to raise as many children as you want and teach them what you want. It's free. It's freedom. It's this type of freedom that's completely different than the like. We want to be free to do drugs. We want to be free to have gay sex or as much sex with women as we want if we're straight mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the freedoms that we're going for now. And that was not the freedoms that our founders fought for. Oh. It was. It was religious freedom. It was freedom to live the way that God required them to live in the Word. Because when they were in England. You know, the, the the Catholic Church and the Anglican Church were telling them how they wanted to live, and they didn't want any part of it. So they left, and they said, no, we want to be free to practice our religion the way that we wanted to. That freedom, not freedom to go break God's law, right. not freedom to go be wicked, but freedom to obey, right? They mm-hmm. wanted the freedom to obey God and, and, and not have a bound conscience, and that was the freedom. And so— um, when you when when you have that and and that's why your preachers preaching are going to have that robust political theology that undergirded the entire um, that whole movement that was the founding of our nation and and then now in our schools we teach that it was about a, it was about a tea tax whole thing was over a no, tea tax no no, no. It, <laughs> there was there was a lot more if you look at the Declaration of Independence you see all the grievances that were listed yeah. there that was just one of them. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, they had a problem with the king on on slavery. Yeah. They the founding fathers. See, here's a here's the thing. We are trying to rewrite the history of this country in order to make it what somebody else wants it to be. Uh, there were two settlements that I, that I think they talk about Jamestown. They talk about the 1619 project and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Jamestown and slaves were brought here. But there was another colony that was established, I think, in 1622 uh, on Plymouth Rock. Yeah. And that's where the uh, uh, pilgrims came in. They came in there, and they based it on the Word of God. Now, Jamestown was a capitalist-type thing. Now, capitalism's not a bad word, but uh, uh, they were actually looking at it for money. So they brought the slaves in to make money. But in uh, uh, at Plymouth was a different story. And that's where it was done on godly principles. They didn't exploit the Indians. They made friends with the Indians. In fact, they had to make friends with the Indians in order to survive. Yeah. But they they believed in the word of God. There's two different Americas. Those that came in with the Puritans influenced the northern colonies. Yeah. Those that came in in Jamestown in Virginia influenced the southern colonies. Yeah. And as a result, you got slavery in one group of the colonies, and you got freedom in another group of colonies. In fact, when slave slave traders came to Plymouth, in order to bring some slaves, those people there in those colonies arrested the the uh, a captain of the ship, and they set that, put him in jail, and they got someone else to escort the blacks back to Africa. They did that because they saw that that was wrong. You should not man-steal, I yeah. think is what it was called. Man-stealing, yeah. That's, that's the biblical terminology for kidnapping, yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. So uh, uh, there are two different Americas. Yes, there was the Southern America, and then there was the Northern America. And it looks like it's flipped now. Yeah. It looks like it's the Southern states that are holding on to more godly principles than what the Northern states are. And even in the, the, the Civil War period, obviously we know how the Civil War broke up as far as that issue goes. Mm-hmm. But even in the the 1860s and really coming into you know early 1900s, there was a lot of Scottish Presbyterian movement to the south, and then like the northern kind of went Unitarian and kind of like left their theological roots. And now you have this really strong Christian worldview down here, and then up north, it's they could care less about God, right? And it's weird how that switched. Like it you did, said. it did switch, and uh, uh, you know you've got uh, uh, the southern states, and they called it the Bible Belt. Yeah. Now 
Uh, the Southern states were for states' rights, and that's what it still is right now, states' rights. I think they were wrong when they were trying to hold on to slavery. Yes. Allow us to have freedom to enslave these people. That's what they wanted to do, and the North said that was not. And the North did impose their will upon the Southern states. States' rights were what our founding fathers tried to set up. Yeah. They didn't deal with the slavery issue when they should have dealt with it, but they couldn't politically deal with it in 1789 uh, uh, when they were trying to put the country together. Yeah. Um, but then states' rights was always the right thing, except the South was on the wrong moral side of and, that. And you could make the case that states' rights, you're still, you're still part of a country that has a constitution, and the constitution mm-hmm. is what guarantees certain people those rights of you know life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? And so... That would that would be a constitutional issue. The slavery part would, but the rest of it would be state sovereignty and 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 self, you know, state. And rights. that that is correct. For instance, like when it comes down to abortion, the recent Supreme Court ruling yeah. and what they did about overturning uh, Roe versus Wade. Uh, what that is is the the nine judges were dictating what the entire country was going to do. The states were totally opposite of what uh, uh, in in 1973. Most states were against abortion. All that has happened now. It has not been outlawed. It has just been returned back to the states for the states to make the decision. States' rights is still alive, even yeah. though it's been coined a bad phrase by uh, uh, by segregationists yeah. and all. But see, this this again, we go back to it. Uh, you need the preachers to be able to tell the truth of what it's all about because politicians are going to lie. How do you know when a politician's lying? You know, when their mouth is He's moving. breathing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's bad. All right. Well, this has been a blast, Bishop. I definitely want to make you a regular guest. Um, I bet we can we can solve all the world's problems right well, here in this studio. I'll tell you if you if I'll get some idea of what we're going to be talking about, I can bring my my notes, my outlines, and some of the sermons, and uh, uh, I can share some of that yeah. with you. I mean, this is I, great. I was, you know, I didn't even know that you were going to actually be recording this one by video. Yeah, that's the reason I'm just uh, uh, casually dressed right now. I that's thought right. we were just going to do audio, but uh, here we are. Now we know. You we let me know. In, we're putting in our welcoming kit that uh, it's a video podcast from now on. So you got to be the one that talks yeah. that. And, and let me know whatever it is that uh, we speak to, and I can actually go do biblical research. I've got a lot of things uh, uh, where where we have a responsibility as children of God. Yeah. We cannot abdicate our role in influencing. We, uh, what did uh, the Lord tell um, in Jeremiah? What was it twenty nine seven? He said, "You pray for the welfare of the city in which I'm sending you into ex- exile. Pray yeah. for for God. Uh, uh, pray for it, so that as the welfare of that city is what your welfare will be. Yeah. We have a responsibility. We can't let these politicians dictate to us." how we're going to live. We've got to stop that. We have a republic, a representative form of government. We need to know who we're putting in office. And most of the time, people don't know, and they don't know because they don't have the guidance of the church anymore. Churches are putting out little documents. Here, we're going to let you know what they believe, and you make your own decision. No, we need to talk about what's right and wrong and say, this is what God says. This is what they say. Mm. That's good. I mean, and gatekeepers, when we were, uh, the organization was stronger than what it is actually, what we what it is now. We used to rate uh, uh, politicians on uh, uh, how they adhere to the Ten Commandments. We'd look at that, and we'd look at their virtue. We would look at those things, and we would, as a group of pastors, we would scale them uh, according to what we saw uh, them keeping with the Word of God. Yeah. I think another topic that uh, we could probably do a whole podcast on is the idea of Christless conservatism. This idea that you can have a conservative, you know, you, you you take this beautiful house that was built on the foundation of Christ and his word, mm-hmm. and then we call that conservatism, and we take a forklift under it, we pick it up, and we move it over into this boggy swamp of moral relativism and dump it down in there, and we wonder why there's rot throughout and it's collapsing. Mm-hmm. Um, we we think that we can have the the fruit without the roots. Right, we we want what conservatism right. that was rooted in Christ produced, but we don't want Christ, and and it's it's the weirdest thing. And so, um, unless it, the Lord builds a house, it's in vain. Yeah, the labors that labor in vain. That's right. Amen. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. Thank you guys for joining us uh, again. Make sure you go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, like us, leave a five star review, tell everyone how much you love the podcast because we know you do. Um, and as always, until next time, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry.